connection, engagement, rigor, success. Here on Coaching You Through All Things Education podcast, we are building a legacy of success together. One episode at a time, each Tuesday at noon. As your host, Anne Labangana Clay of ANC Unlimited, we will unpack relevant topics in education together. And when I'm not podcasting, coaching, or consulting, stop by our website, acunlimited.org, for our new blog, Coaching You EDU, and a menu of services. If something resonates with you during this episode, message me on the podcast app of your choice or leave a comment on LinkedIn, our company Facebook page, or on Twitter. Our guests appreciate your feedback. Check out the story notes for our social media details. And certainly, if you have an episode suggestion, send it to coachingallthingsedu at gmail.com. Now let's dive in. from the Spotify app. You are listening to a unique podcast episode where we have a combination of speaking educationally podcast hosts, the Namaste Stories podcast hosts, and the host of Coaching You Through All Things Education. All of us are out of the state of Delaware. How cool is that? Super cool. Podcast hosts have been troubled by the most recent events that have occurred in Washington, D.C. Even though the events occurred in Washington, naturally the ripple effect has been felt here in Delaware, across the nation, and around the world. We are excited to have this opportunity to have a round table together with some of our Delachat educators today which are our Delaware educators on Twitter. We want to make sure that everyone's voice is heard. And as a reminder, this is a no judgment zone. As mentioned previously, the music has been provided and will be provided today by DJ Doug via the Spotify app. And and as it was stated in our preparation for this time, this is special. Let's briefly introduce ourselves to our listening audience. First of all, I'm Ann Lavangana Clay, host of Coaching You Through All Things Education podcast, as well as an educator for 26 years and currently serving as an instructional coach in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, Hello, everyone. My name is Tara McAllister, and I am host to the Namaste Stories podcast. Uh, I am a educator here in Delaware, as well as a diversity and equity coordinator um, in Middletown, Delaware, and I am excited to be here. Hey, hi, everybody. I am Dina Lau. I am one of the uh, three co-parents of the Speaking Educationally podcast. And I am a high school English teacher, um, department coordinator, and um, professional learning coordinator. All right, I'm Doug Tim. I'm the principal at Cary Downey Elementary School, also a co-parent of uh, Speaking Educationally podcast. Um, been in education about 20 years and look to do about 20 more. And this is uh, going to be a really great conversation. 
Awesome. I am Dr. Gerard Phillips, Sr., and I am an elementary assistant principal in Middletown, Delaware, and I'm just happy to be here and share with my co-host and speaker educationally, as well as my friend Ann and my new friend Terry. Good afternoon, everybody. Stephen Wilson, the education team. And I'm uh, just excited to be a part of this conversation. Looking forward to hearing everything that everyone is going to share. And I'm uh, excited about the dialogue. I guess I'm going to lead it off, huh? So we, um, as Ann said, we have some things that we want to talk about, or at least that we have experienced this past week that have um, troubled us, but also um, I think the conversations I've had with some educators and where I'm coming from is people are afraid to talk about things that are uncomfortable in school. And I want to make sure that with my staff that I am not only supporting them if they want to talk about uncomfortable conversations, but actually pushing them to have uncomfortable conversations with their class. Um, I led the day after um, the uh, insurrection, I guess is what we're calling it now on uh, January 6th. I let off that next day with a morning announcement that just basically pointed out to my students, you know, something happened yesterday at the Capitol and our staff are here and ready and willing to have conversations with you and talk it through with you if you have questions. I think we provide as an educational entity a counterbalance to other things that kids might hear, see from friends, family, social media, whatever. And that counterbalance that allows them a safe space to talk is super important. So any educator out there that says that they don't want to have those conversations in school, I don't understand it. I don't know where you're coming from. It doesn't make any sense to me because to me, the perfect place to have those conversations is in school because we can affect more people than anywhere else. So that's why I love education because I can impart my, not me, I should say, I can impart the idea that we need to push forward more um, than I could in any other profession. So I know you guys got a lot to say. That's just kind of what uh, the introduction was going to be, but anybody take it from there. Can I pop in, Doug? Yeah. So like, I, you know, I'm listening to you and I think that your staff, first of all, is very fortunate to have you um, because there are some that would, you know, back away from even bringing it up. And I think that that is a disservice not only to the staff, but also to the students. Um, and you mentioned the conversation and, you know, having to have them. This week, um, I've always told my students to look at the facts. Look at the facts. Take the emotion out of it. Look at the facts. And the ones that I spoke to that reached out privately, you know, kept coming back to that, where you cannot dispute the differences between the way that that was handled versus the way that things were handled in the summer and in the spring of last year. Um, and I think that any teacher or educator or administrator who is afraid to have those conversations is really afraid of looking at themselves. And I think that that's, that's the danger of, of you know, not talking about it. Um, and that's why people are uncomfortable, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in my, uh to piggyback off of both of you as a educational leader that's why we have to be very cognizant of because i think every district in this state and definitely in this region has some type of cultural or diversity work going and we can't keep that under a bushel because what happens is when things like this happen then you try to have them conversations and if you get any pushback from parents that's where it comes from because You've been doing this equity work, but you haven't been involved in all stakeholders. Now, there are certain beliefs that I have that I can say it, and I'm not going to hear any pushback from my counterparts, my colleagues, those teachers I supervise, or even parents, because it's certain conversations that I've been having since I've known them just here and there. So when I come forth with truth on this situation, they're looking like this is in line with what Gerard's been saying all along. And I think that's where we got to get to as I can speak for educational leaders. Like we, we can't pick and choose when we're going to say something like we, we need to, we need to involve parents more that way when they are upset because they heard a conversation happen on zoom 
you got evidence to revert back right back to Mrs. 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 John, Mrs. Sally, Mrs. Mrs. Sue. Um, I understand how you feel, but these are the conversations we've been having all along and be able to tie right back to what some parents like to hear, curriculum and standards. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's my piece on that. And it makes it more authentic, right? It makes it more authentic. And when they hear the conversations, they know that it is not someone going rogue. It is not someone you know preaching their beliefs. It is someone representing the district in the school and the work that they have invested in emotion and energy. This is a part of our pre-conversation uh, to the podcast. I think it was uh, made an excellent point that our standard, or excuse me, it was a June made um, a point mm-hmm. that the standards, okay, thank you, that the standards are... He's the doctor. He's the doctor here. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm having so much fun on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Anything that says it's, it's smart, it came from Jordan. It was definitely not from me. Go it came from Dina. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There you go. The cool <laughs> kids, Anne. The cool kids. I'm telling right, you. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry, Anne. I did not mean to interrupt you, but yeah, I can really, help myself. I just enjoyed you guys. You were talking about standards. Go ahead, go ahead. That the standards are all, it's already built in for discussion, first of all. We all know that no matter what grade level it is, right? You're going to turn and talk or have some conversation, but seriously, you know, discussion as well as being able to speak without someone interrupting. <laughs> no, but seriously, I'm not interrupting, but you know, making sure it's a no judgment zone when students are speaking, all that's built into our current education system. So we as educators and adults need to model, right? Model those standards for our students and we need to dive in and go ahead and have those hard conversations and you know what, Taryn had an excellent point. You know, when when um, students are speaking and students are sharing, it should be factually based. You know, sometimes they might have to do their homework or do their research to find out what those facts are, but it should not be based on a whole lot of emotions, you know, which is difficult. And I think we can all speak to that. We're very passionate people on this podcast you know, today, this episode today. So therefore, we need to uh, model for our students, you know, what are the facts? What do you notice? You know, what do you wonder based on the facts? But also be honest, you know, about the fact that it is hard. I mean, when my kids logged in on, you know, Thursday morning, you know, you could tell. I mean, there were kids who never had their cameras on who were suddenly turning on their cameras and saying, Hollister, what, what, what's going on? I don't know, honey. I, I don't, I don't know, but we're going to sift through it and we're going to figure it out. Like they need to know that we are struggling with it as well. And we are trying to reconcile with what's happening in this country because it gives them value. Well, and I'll say as a, as a white person, um, and I think I, I don't want to speak for all white people, but I'll speak for myself and the people that I talk to that are also white. A lot of times what happens is they're afraid of the conversation because they're afraid of what might happen. I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming black people have difficult conversations about this thing all the time. Right. All the time. You're talking about what's going on in the world all the time and how it affects you. White people don't talk about that in that sort of context. We talk about it in, oh, my gosh, look at what's happening over there. Look at what's happening over there. I want to stay away from that. I don't want to be political. I don't want to get involved in that because my safe space is right here because it doesn't necessarily affect me. Like I always leave whatever difficult conversation that might be happening. And I think what happens when you are open and willing and engaged in that conversation with kids you then start to look forward to those conversations. Not that you look forward to having a difficult conversation, but if something happens, it's okay. I am prepared and ready to have that conversation with kids. I know what they're going to bring and I'm going to be ready for them. And it's going to be a real learning experience because it is an experience. What happened the other day was an experience for everybody. I know when I got home, I grabbed my kids and I said, we're watching the news for 45 minutes. And they're like, what? 
I'm like, no, I know. Trust me. We're going to actually even eat dinner from the TV. We've never eaten dinner from the TV before, ever. But we did on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? I can't. The pandemic. I don't know what that is. But whatever day it was. Wednesday. And we ate dinner. And we ate, I mean, like, for an hour and a half, we watched TV. And they asked questions. And we answered. And I, I mean, it was just a great learning experience for them. And that can translate in the classroom very, very easily. So. It was well. It was interesting. I had a discussion with one of um, with one of my students the other day who um, told me that she was struggling with the whole definition of white privilege and what that that meant. And she said, you know, well, it's never really served me, you know. And and she's like, you know, I just, you know, I, I think it's important to embrace everybody and love everybody for who they are. And she's like, and it's not it's not something that I think we should have to think about. I said, well, if that that is your privilege. <laughs> I'm like the fact that you can completely cut out race and color and all of that because you choose to, you know, that's, that is your privilege. That's not something that, a, you know, somebody who is black, a person of color, whatever it is that you would like to identify as um, it's, it's not that choice for, for people. Um, so I said, just kind of understand that that is a privilege. And I said to her, that's what I had to make sense of, you know, cause I'm white presenting. So that's what I had to do. And I said, once I realized that is the privilege that it helped me to understand and why there, there was a difference for me in that discussion versus with some other people. And, and just to add on um, to some of the great ideas, I know, um, even with myself um, being the lead at PS, uh, while all this stuff was transpiring, I reached out to my um, admin and like, kind of like Doug said, um, she was supportive of me having a conversation. She's like, I think you should share it with social studies and share it with, um, with the equity team. But I also um, later in the week heard from other educators who were saying that their admin and even our districts were not, they were saying, hey, we're not going to address this. We're going to stay out of it. And so how do we still kind of weave it in and so i was telling them for me sel like we've been preaching sel this whole school year just because of the pandemic and so i know for for my students we talked about um self-awareness over the past couple of weeks and so um we discussed that like how are you guys feeling and even though it was a part of my plan i was just giving some tips like hey if a student brings it up it kind of is a segue into how you can have that discussion and even um, thinking about, like we talked earlier with the standards and um, those best practices, um, we did some situations where we talked about um, how would you feel? Like if you were, I know for my class, we talked a little bit like if you were a senator and all this stuff was occurring, get yourself in their shoes. Like, what do you think your mind is going through? Like, what's going through your mind in that moment? And so um, it was an actual good experience. I think, like Doug said, for everyone involved, I learned a lot from my kids. And then I think my kids learned a lot from each other. It wasn't necessarily driving the instruction to a student life. And I think when a student that you get the most impact. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's it, it, it definitely, it's also, it looks different, I think, elementary versus middle versus high. Um, you know, me being elementary, you know, I remember, and not, I remember it happened this week, but a couple of my younger grade teachers reached out to me and they said, you know, because it happened that Wednesday and it was like that Thursday, it's like, we need to be like, so I gave them a resource for teaching tolerance about just having difficult conversations. I emailed everyone that night and I said, here's how to have some difficult conversations. Use this. I said, here's the video I'm going to put out or the idea of the video I'm going to put out in the morning that you're all going to watch. And then they started, um, they started uh, sending ideas about books and things. So immediately it, it, those conversations are growth for staff, but also for just the, the, the vision of where we're going. I, I was excited that people reached out and said, can we use this? Can we use that? And I'm like, it may not have been perfect, but you know what, when you have 14 hours to turn it around, I'm like, go with it. And then we'll reevaluate and go from there. Well, and I think that whole idea of, you know, trying to get it perfect is where some things become problematic <laughs> because it's never going to be, you know, and that's yeah. what, that that's, you know, something, you know, I, I know that I, I fight with personally. It's like, you know, I want to make everything perfect or said just right or do the right thing all the time. And it's never going to be perfect. You're going to get it as good as you can get it in that moment and um, embrace that. 
And Doug, what you said about the high school and middle school, you know, all of that, I, I sit here and I teach high school and my kids, they, they will bring it up. They will bring it up. Um, you know, like no matter how much, you know, I try to avoid it, which I don't, but because um, I'm all about, let's talk about it. But but they'll they'll bring it up, you know, before I even get a chance to. And luckily, I have an administration where, like, he sent out an email. He was like, "Here's some things to keep in mind. We have conversations, and so we've got that support. We've been doing the work. But I can't imagine the young kids, my kids, my own children. They're six and they're seven. And they saw that stuff on the screen, and I mean, what is what's going on? You know, so I kudos to you. Um, you know, the ones the young kids that that's just powerful. You know, and and yeah. you talk about the social emotional stuff. Why not cover yourself yourself by doing it that way if you don't have the support of an administration? There are some yeah. that don't have that. You know? Well, my own kids, they said to me, why are these white men rushing the Capitol and taking over? I said, we've been doing that for over 400 years. What are you talking about? This is nothing new. I mean, come on now. I mean, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bad joke, but it's like, you know, speak your truth, the, the, dog, speak your truth. You know what I mean? but the disenfranchise and, and, and the, the ownership, like the, when I heard some of them say, you know, and going off, this is nothing about education, just from my watching it on TV and hearing them. My hearing other white men say, this is my building. I paid for this. I own this. I'm like, who built this? Like, for real, you want to get the history? Who built it? Because we didn't build it. You know what I mean? We didn't build it. So let's all step back for a second real quick and do some history about who actually built all of this. And then and then we can have a conversation about who actually owns what. Um, but again, that's a whole nother conversation that we don't, I mean, I don't know how much time we got. You guys gonna be here until like time. midnight tonight again? <laughs> but anyway, but don't I mean, for real, I mean. Yeah, it's the audacity for them to say that that is their house, that is their building. Right. No, it's not. Sure. No, it's not. And we you need saw to it. say that. Yeah. I'm sorry, we need to st- We need to talk about it. And, and Exactly. Because I'm getting fired up, y'all. <laughs> I mean, that, that one yeah, picture. Oh, sorry, I see go ahead. No, 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 I'm talking too much. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. I want her to speak, and then I'll jump in. The only thing I was, real quick, I was just going to say, the one picture that bothered me the most was that one guy who was sitting in Nancy Pelosi's office with his feet up on her desk, and that guy sitting there. And then his audacity afterwards, if you saw, he got interviewed afterwards. He gave his name, where he was from, and everything else, and he said, I didn't steal anything. I gave a quarter for it. You know what I mean? I did this. I did that. This is where I'm, I mean, like, for real? Like, you can't sit in my office like that, much less the Capitol. I mean, you sit in my office like that and you break in? I'm going to have an issue with that. They rolled up in there like they were going to the Smithsonian. Like, like, right, you know, that's how they rolled up and then they then they showed out once they got on the inside. Like, I couldn't even, I was, I was thinking back, you know, to when I was a student, you couldn't even, and I'm pretty sure you still can't. You can't walk on the Senate floor or the Congress floor, can you? Right? Am I correct? So, so here they just stormed in and I mean, really showed out. And I mean, I think that what's perfect is that it's not a who who has that opinion is not about race. I think every race in this entire world um, definitely feels the same way. How inappropriate and disrespectful. Like I felt disrespected personally, you know, at the fact the way they just um, you know, did what they wanted, like you said, stormed it, put their feet up on, you know, guns in there, you know, all kinds of things. That's not a, that's not a race specific opinion. I think that, that totally goes across the world about how we feel about what happened that day. Yeah, that, that, that right, that image right there, and then him talking with media afterwards is what got me because I'm going to tell you what I visualize and I'm not telling you what I think, I'm telling you what I know. Yeah, yeah. The, there were officers out there that had knew that he was after he he was blatant with it, and then he out there talking to media when there are law enforcement that will roll up in the hood and throw a brother on the ground, knowing that the only thing he got in his pocket is a ten dollar bag of marijuana. But what this dude just did, he can freely be walking, giving interviews. Like that, I'm like, like what, what's what's going on here? What is going on here? Guys, uh, so someone posted um, a headline of the Times of India, 
And I was like, okay, India, I see you. The Ku Klux Klan. John Triggers Mob and Robin. And like, I had a friend who lives in England reach out and she was like, how you doing? I was like, girl. (laughs) I mean, the world is watching. Our children are watching. And if we as educators shy away from having these conversations, then it is just going to repeat itself. You know, bottom line. And time's Um, over, really. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Kessie. No, 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 I was just going to say, and that's kind of like the frustrating part, I guess, for me, is like we talk so much how we're trying to prepare kids for the real world. But when the real world happens, we don't want to address it. We like create this fantasy in our classroom and try to separate the two when it's like a microcosm of what happens in society. And so even when it comes to their voice, we talk about student voice and we don't give students a platform or opportunity to share their voice when things like this happen. Like I remember when 9-11 happened and I was in elementary school, we dropped everything. Curriculum for like the next week and just talked about 9-11 and what next, like every day was like current event day. And so for me, it was like, oh, I have to talk about this with my kids because I remember being a kid when something like this happened. And so it was just, um, it's just very disheartening and I guess frustrating because I have students from other schools who reached out famous and like, did you talk to your kids about what happened? Like none of my kids said anything. And they were like really upset because they're coming and they're expected to like act like nothing happened. Just go through the curriculum, go through the agenda, and they're like they really don't see it. And so I think it's a breach of trust, and it's just a lot. Okay. I, I just I got I got a challenge by fellow educators and my fellow school leaders as well. <clears throat> I think almost all of us on here are fans of Principal Cafe. Like, and one thing that he always says. When it comes to school leadership, school leaders, whether it be assistant principal, principals, whatever, the purpose of supervision is the continued improvement of instruction. And when I think about that word improvement, let's look at the students that are currently 12th graders now, currently seniors. I had to write this down. Those students have lived through Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, mm-hmm. Michael Brown, Amon Arbery, George Floyd, Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor, and some others. And you mean to tell me us educators that's been in that's been in education at least since 2012, we don't got any type of background knowledge to have a a, a, a surface level conversation with kids? Come on, we got to do better. Improvement, we got to do better. Yes. Think about if it was technology, right? Think about if it was technology, and you've been trying to implement technology for 10, 12, 15 years, and you're still like uh where's the on button like come on like where have you been like why is certain things important and certain things aren't i mean there needs to be an emphasis on this being important as important as learning content of ela math or whatever but there you go and i think that was a point that was brought up earlier as well is it can easily easily be embedded into your ela curriculum your social studies curriculum your morning meeting you know whatever advisory time it can easily we if we make time for and i i, mean, I love celebrating holidays and everything else you know what i mean but if we can make time for that we can make time for these conversations uh to be had it doesn't have to be three hours length each one you know what i mean a few minutes 15 minutes you know a time at a time because uh, I know for the older grades, right, for the high school and, and middle school, the time is more limited, certainly. But I can get through know. everything I need to get through, man. I'm not like, there you go, exactly, you right? Adjust. Yeah, like you you adjust, and that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. I have to get through curriculum, or I have to do this or that. And especially now, most of our kids are remote slash hybrid slash remote slash. You know, it's it's a mess, and we need to be able to to have the conversation um, even more so because there's so much more at stake right now and there's so much more that they're dealing with. And if an educator is not willing to look at themselves first and be prepared, dare I say they shouldn't be in education. Mm-hmm. Period. Now, Dina, were you going to say something? Oh. 
I had something. Sorry. I had something earlier. The conversation went somewhere else. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I know. That's right. So on, on this point, though, and, and I don't want to just be I don't want to just be that person that's just yelling. Um, I will say this, that I think that one of the things that I will say is when you're white and you grow up, you don't know how to have this conversation. Like, it's not something that is part of your culture. So as a person of color, I can imagine that you talk about the color of your skin. You talk about how you relate in the world a lot more than you do if you're a white person growing up. I never had that conversation ever, ever, ever with anyone ever until I became an adult. So I'm not giving anyone a pass. But I'm saying like at this point now with all the stuff that you mentioned, Gerard, it's been eight years. Like at this point now, we need to do better. So that being said, um, and I kind of lost my point a little bit, but that in itself, I think is important to recognize that as white people, because the people that need to do work more than anyone else is us. Like we need, but we also need to have entry points that are comfortable, that we can jump in the conversation because I have gotten feedback to myself and I take it to heart. Doug, you're like here, we're like here, like it's intimidating to talk to you about it because you're going to like bring all this. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm going to bring it down. Like where, where should we start this conversation? So that is important too. But um, I just want to recognize that because I just, I don't want to say that everyone should be doing this and then turn people off completely, but you right. have to start somewhere. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. And what I mean by that, because I completely hear what you're saying, but like someone said technology, there was a shift to technology years ago. And the mm -hmm. teachers who were willing and, and, and ready to do it, they shifted, they did what they needed to do. Someone else brought up the list of all of those brown, beautiful people who were murdered at the hands of cops that our students have seen literally before their eyes. Um, I feel like we, we have to be uncomfortable with those conversations. Oh, absolutely. And, and we have to like keep encouraging and, and and helping to shift those people who like your sand dog have never had to have that conversation about race because it, it's never been an issue um and i think that the beautiful thing because i try to look i try to stay in the light i try to think of like the positives that have come from all of the ugliness but the beautiful thing is we are sitting here having this conversation our students are asking the questions that if we're not ready to bring it up they're going to bring it up our children who are who are white are now seeing that the idea of colorblindness is not a real thing you know and that's that's where we have to you know win the hearts of those who are reluctant sure you know and um so i completely hear you like i i'm not trying to you know throw the baby out with the bathwater, but like the time's now let's do this let's go our kids are waiting you know and i hear both of you and i'm hearing differentiate like that's my word of the year i guess <laughs> my one word i'm not sure but you know everybody's at different entry points as doug said you know and so because they are instead of you know it's either here or there let's have those varying steps or entry points where people can join in on the conversation or in the discussion at a level that they're comfortable with. Now, what does that mean? So I don't mean, you know, that it's okay to still be on milk, you know, like a baby uh, two years or even a year later, you know, usually working on yourself, no matter what uh, stage of development you are in and get yourself to that meat real quick. <laughs> no, but the, <laughs> the bottom line is, you know, you have to, you have to be, we do have to be that way where we are um, thinking about, you know, being respectful of where people are. But at the same time, I think Taryn, you said it, people have voluntarily said, oh, I'm going to go with this. We need everybody on this, on this ship. And they need to understand that it's, it, it, it's a process. And, and, and I, I, every newsletter that I send to the staff, the marathon continues y'all like, and this is not going to happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And that's, again, staying in the light, staying positive about it because we're having the conversations. I had a staff member. I sent out a list of, like, resources Thursday morning, and I was – there's social emotional stuff, and I was like, there is something in here for a staff, as a parent, everything. Just, you know, I wanted you guys to have it. And, like, within minutes, I had people reach out about thanking me, you know, because they needed it for their own kids. 
everyone. They needed it for not just their students, but also their own kids. And that spoke volumes to me where these are some of the people that when we have PD are quiet. They don't speak. They just sort of sit there and they're listening. And, and I'm like, they are taking it in. They are processing it. And we need to be mindful of the fact that they are going to be at different stages and it's going to look differently. But that was eye-opening to me because these are people who never speak. They just sort of, you know, take it in. But they're listening. And that's the beauty of, of, of what's going on. I've had I've had discussions with with my son and with students of mine and usually the first thing that comes up for kids who are white is you know well um, I I don't want to be racist you know so that's usually one thing that comes out and either before it or after it is um, I don't want to upset anybody and I don't want to offend anybody and you know, we, my, my own son, we went from having that to, um, whenever he sees things like he's, he's a lot more mindful. Oh, well, I see this happening. This must mean this, which is, is great. And we, we are now kind of focusing the conversation more around, I know this is upsetting and I know it's making you angry, but you can't stop at being angry. You know, I'm like, it's, you know, you have to take that anger and do something with it. You can't just stop it angry because then what happens is that we get angry about it. And then what do we do? You know, like it's, and that's a, that's a, a thing that I kind of push myself on. And it's like, okay, this, this made me upset. This made me angry. What am I going to do with that? You know, cause it's like, I am in such a privileged position to be able to do something with that. So I've got to take it and do something because there are people who are not in that fortunate position that I'm in where if they do speak up, there's going to be blowback of some sort. I face less of that. And so I, I need to keep in mind that I have that. And so the conversation then becomes, okay, how do I empower myself and how do I empower others to be able to do that? And I, I think if it just stops at anger, it, you're less likely to do something or you divert to checkboxing, you know, well, I, I'm going to be the, the better not racist because I'm able to check stuff off, you know, and I can then look at somebody else and say, ha ha, I'm a better not racist than you, you know, and it's so right. there, there's something that's got to be done with that. And so yeah. it, I, it, it's enabled me to have these conversations with my own child and Taryn, thank you for being somebody who is able to, you know, push that out and say, here, here's what you can look into and being able to have that conversation because it, it just, we need to, to have this and to help people be a model for that. And, yeah, it's funny you say that. So when I was watching it with my kids, my six-year-old, I, I asked them, I said, you know, what, what do you guys think? And they, they were like, well, why are they so angry? And my six-year-old daughter, she goes, oh my God, he, they are not self-regulating themselves very well. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, oh my God. But, that, but that's what it's about because if they don't self-regulate, then we've got crazy people storming the Capitol. And she was so right. Like she was, I mean, she nailed it. I was like, no, you're absolutely right. They are not self-regulating themselves. I was like, what is happening? But, but, but that's, the, that's the beauty of having the conversation, yes. you know, with no matter how old they are, you know, young and high schoolers, because even my high schoolers, you know, like, I mean, they like to think that they're grown and like think that they're adults, but they're babies. And they, and they just want a reassurance on Thursday morning that everything is going to be okay. We're not crazy to think that, um, you know, this is really happening. No, you're not. This is really happening. And, and, and what are we going to do? We're not going to avoid it. The essay that's due next week, we can hold off on that. Let's talk. Right now. And you, Gerard, and Stephen haven't said anything while. I don't know if you guys want to jump in, but I, I wanted to talk about something else after we're done this sort of thread. But I don't know. Do you guys have something else you want to throw in there? All right. I think we can change it up. All right. So, on so Wednesday night, I was emotional, right? I've I, I read this little Courageous Conversations, and we've used it in our district, and, and it's always about coming back to center. Well, Wednesday night, I was very emotional. You, you weren't getting me back to center. I, on Twitter, I was like retweeting and quote tweeting and tweeting, tweeting. It was out of control, right? Thursday, I got a little bit closer to the center, and I thought, okay, let me research this and figure out how did we get to this place where these people are because i can't relate to these white men i'm a white i take that back 
I understand how they got there. I get it. I have known white people that are like that. I still probably know a lot of white people that are like that, but they hide it from me because they know where I'm coming from, right? They keep it in. That being said, I thought to myself, I am white. I'm a white male. I need to figure out what these white males are doing. Like, I'm just like, that's my, that's how I think. So I researched and I went deep down into these chat rooms and I would not suggest that you do it as a person of color because it would probably be triggering, very triggering. But me, I can go down there and I went really deep into conversations that just went thread after thread after thread after thread. And the amount of patting themselves on the back for doing things that they that is completely out of control and wrong. And I'm not going to repeat anything that was said in that room. I could have a private conversation with someone later and kind of share that with you. But I was just amazed at how much they are piling on each other, piling on not in a negative way, but, you know, affirming all of that nonsense that is out there and then these weird crazy ideas i mean i walk i read one thread about the n-word and i was like what in the world are that where are they coming from with this information clearly they have no idea what is going on and anything so that's what i'm saying i wouldn't advise you to do that but i had to for my own self because i had to understand where is this coming from um and it was really, 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 really scary. Um, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I don't know how to fix that problem, but it was something that I needed to just make sure that I understood where all this anger is coming from. It really is coming from nowhere. Like that's the end of it all. It's coming from nowhere. It's coming from this idea that they are owed something and privilege. Like that's really the bottom line. Like that's it. It's so shallow. It's so shallow without any basis in history or anything that I can't, I still can't relate now, but, but it, it is what it is. And I just right, had to kind of do that. It was, it was cathartic for myself. Go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. I was just, I was just going to ask you like, where does it come from? <laughs> you know, as you were saying it, you know, my head was just kind of spinning on its own, you know, accent. I think it comes you know? from their parents. I think it comes from your, how you're raised. And, I, and again, I think that comes back to the point as an educator, like we're the only ones that can interrupt or disrupt that. Right. Steven, you agree with me, right? I, was I mean, it comes from your parents. Yeah. Same thing. Like oh. the only way we disrupt it is in the classroom. And like right. talk about how diverse things are, how the world is changing. Like we can't, we can't keep letting these same traditions, these same rituals and teachings that are being passed down, down. We can't let them ha keep happening. The only way we interrupt that is through the school system. And so I know for me, I kind of struggle right now because I know that there are racist things embedded in the school system. And so I'm like, well, how do we still unpack that? How do we still do the work? when we're in a racist system per se, but yeah. like Karen said, you still have to find those bright spots, those positive moments and just keep working. But it's the curriculum. It's the curriculum. It's the not seeing black and brown teachers. It's seeing white females only. And you know, like it, it's all of those things that have built up over time. And that's, that's where it comes from. That's the fact that we don't expose children to things that are ugly in terms of what has happened in this country. We're not reflecting, um, you know, I had a conversation about the literature. I teach, I teach high school um, English and we read A Raisin in the Sun. That is one of my favorite plays. I think it's brilliant. Lorraine Hansberry, love it. I think it's great. Tara, we gotta talk. I just started that, so oh. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk. I love it. <laughs> this year, for the first time, and I've taught this book for at least seven years, or this play for seven years, I had a student who messaged me and said, why do we always read about the trauma? Yes, we and talked like, about this I'm last like, time. Yeah. And yeah. I had been right. thinking it, I was like, oh my gosh. And But, but right. again, the students will call you out. And I said, wow, that's powerful. Because even they are shifting. This is a junior, right? So they have lived through all of these things. And and, and I said, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I had conversations with, you know, the people who were in control of the curriculum. Um, and I said, you know, this is something that was brought up and they, they were like, whoa, wow. We think we're doing one thing by incorporating students or literature of color, but we need to be mindful of the way it's being presented and the content. Uh, right? Absolutely. It's not just the struggle. There are so many beautiful aspects to Asian culture. 
Hispanic culture, black culture. We need to incorporate that. And I think that goes back to what yeah. Doug's saying. If kids are seeing that their entire life, sure. and they might realize that it is not all to not be corny, black and white. You see what I did? Yeah. <laughs> um but but curriculum is a big part we have to i mean every, you know people are like well how can we change the curriculum we change it yeah we change it so it's interesting because we just we just started this and it, just not to go into a big curriculum discussion because um you all know how much i love to do that but <laughs> <laughs> so it's um so we we read through this, the beginning of Act 1, Scene 1, where there's all the stage directions, everything else in there. And I said to the students, I said, what does this, what does this tell you about the younger family? You know, because it goes in this big, long description about the, the, the way the living room looks and how everything's been covered in doilies. And they, they stayed there way longer than they planned to. And before we did this, one of the things that I said was I had my students look at five different topics that are going to develop into themes. And um, one of them was on um, housing discrimination and redlining and how those things continue to be pervasive and affect people today, even though they occurred 70 years ago. And um, when we went through all of this, one of the thoughts I had was I can't let the students sit on like their unfortunate situation. I was like, we're going to have to move away from that at some point to discuss it out. And as we're reading through this, I said, you know, what, what do you think of the family? What does it say about them? And one of my classes overwhelmingly talked about how resourceful a family is, which I thought was so powerful because I was like, yeah. And, and so I, after that, I was like, let's write that down because I want to be able to to flip that a little bit and go, okay, yeah, I mean, it's, they can't, you know, the, the rent was way higher that it prevented them from moving out. They couldn't get credit to buy a house. All these things happen, but, and, you know, more so than anything else, the family's resourceful. The, the family is beautiful and they are very dignified and there are all these wonderful things about them. And so let's not hinge on, Walter Lee's drinking as a result of what trauma he experienced as a black man. Let's not hit, you know, hinge on these things. Let's hinge on how absolutely beautiful and wonderful this family is and wrap that up in joy. You know, let's talk, let's talk about that moving forward. Um, and it's like, you know, I can't, there are things I can't do, but that is something that I can do. I am empowered in that way. And that's powerful. That That's powerful. And like, I always stress the fact that you know, everyone's like, oh, but Walter didn't get his dream. And I'm like, well, Walter had a family that loved him. And they their love was unconditional. Um, mama's love was unconditional. And like, we, we stay in the light. You focus on what, you know, is positive. Because I don't think that Lorraine Hainsbury sat down and said, you know what, I want this to be a depressing play and I want to talk about the trauma. She wanted to be real. She wanted people to see it, but she also wanted us to see the beauty of that family. So not to get off on an English, you know, tangent. Yeah, you guys got to settle down. English, ladies, you guys got to settle down. Because I'm checking. I don't even know what. I don't even know how to jump in on that. Taryn, I told told Gerard and Doug that at some point. Let's put them in a breakout room. We are going to. I, I told him at some point in time, we are going to book club James Baldwin. And I was like, you know, we'll book club him. And I said, and we are all going to start by reading Sonny's Blues. I'm like, so just brace yourselves. <laughs> I will I will read James Baldwin, but let's put them in a breakout room for a minute. Let's, uh, I'm, but speaking I'm, of James Baldwin, so has anyone of... seen I Am Not Your Negro? I, start, yes. I started it, but then family happened. I only got like <laughs> 10 minutes. Okay, well, you need family to go stuff back happened. to it. You need to go back to it. And that is something that, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Let me. I was getting that. into it too. It's, I was getting into it too. It's powerful. It's Where is it powerful. on Netflix or? Um, it's I, Netflix, I, have on I believe. Netflix. It's probably on Netflix. But it's, yeah, I, said, I had it on Netflix. Everything that he, he talks about from the 50s, 60s is, is current and relevant today. Um, oh, oh, absolutely. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, Doug got me a captivated bomb for that podcast that he he shot me and I, man, just the oh, stuff. Oh yeah, that was good. Like the like I, I as a black man, I was like, yo, I've been sleeping on James Bond. <laughs> right. I'm like, yo, I'm like, and because I had just started that, I'm not your Negro. Like it was, it was definitely like maybe earlier in the school year, 
And I think I started watching it. And then the kids were like, I thought we was going to watch this. And I think we ended up transitioning to, um, matter of fact, it wasn't at the beginning of school year. It was before the holidays because we ended up transitioning and watching um, the movie about the Sarah, about the Clemson football player. Oh. On, yeah. on Disney Plus. You know what I'm talking about? Safety. Safety. Yeah, safety. Yeah. That's Gavin's new favorite. Yeah, that's what that's when it was. And that was like, okay. I was like, okay, but I gotta come back to that. I am your nigga. It's not like it's not, not like it, it's not like watching. Like that's what you know, it's like you've you've got to sit down when you're really like when you really can because I, I had to keep stopping it because it was like I would start to watch it and then my mind would go all these places and it was like I couldn't like I couldn't just sit there and watch to like just watch because I felt like I was learning from it. So it was like I had to keep pausing it to get up and walk away and like process because um, it really just does that. It puts you in that mental space. Okay. Too just to wrap up James Baldwin really quickly, guys. Um, there is, he did this talk in 1964, I believe. It's a talk to teachers. And I need for everyone to read that because the, oh my God, the only thing that has changed is the fact that he uses the word Negro, like that, everything else. Um, and he's talking about, you know, like what teachers need to understand about their, their students. And that is something that, um, you know, I am not your Negro. Anything that he writes is just a reflection of the way that, you know, we need to, to approach um, the experiences and the culture and the place for black people in this country which is no place. We, there is no place for us, according to James Baldwin, until we confront um, what white people have done. This is the language he uses. But you see what I'm saying? Like he, I mean, he does not hold back. It's so good. Yeah, because I mean, he was ostracized from like every single community. I mean, I think he lived overseas for a bunch of years too, because he couldn't yeah. even, I mean, he was afraid to live in America. But again, I'm not a James Baldwin expert, so I'm gonna stop there. It's funny that that as we're talking, you know, the song Fight the Power came on from Public Enemy because, I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, you have, I mean, obviously the civil rights movement, I mean, I mean, it's not like this is so, to the point that we made earlier about, it's about time. I mean, it has been about time for like a long time. It isn't like just because George Floyd, I mean, that's, again, I don't want to hate on any other white people. I'm not here to do that. That's not my intention. And if you started at George Floyd, then George Floyd is your starting point to learn about stuff. And, and I'm thankful for doing that. But it is a little bit embarrassing that it took that in order for a lot of people, at least in my circles, to say, oh, wow, look, there's racism. Oh, Obama didn't cure racism? Oh, wait a second. It's like, okay, well, no, he didn't. Um, okay, now I'm going to play devil's advocate because go ahead, I... Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Um, and I don't want to get emotional about it, but I, you know, like I, I think that George Floyd was was something that, again, just like they couldn't avoid the fact that what we saw on Wednesday was white privilege at its highest height. They could no longer deny that there is something wrong in this country because for what eight nine minutes, you, it was right there in front of you, and I think that. Sometimes people who are reluctant to accept that there is something wrong with something will not be able to face it until there is back to the facts. They can no longer not face it. Um, so I feel like there were some people that, you know, realized that with Obama, things weren't, you know, perfect and ideal in this like utopia, but they still thought, well, we had a black president. Everything's good. Like this country has changed and people were talking about all these negative things, but we had a black president. No, that's not enough. And when they saw George Floyd, they were like, holy manoli. Like, this is what they've been talking about. You know? Piggy and that's, that's powerful. I'm sorry. No, to piggyback what you were saying about George Floyd, one thing I've realized with that, a lot of white mothers have sons that like high school level where but due to sports or the neighborhood, a lot of their white sons, some of their best friends are black males. And a lot of time has been spent with that black friend over at her house or carpooling for sporting events. And when they saw that, it really clicked like, I, like, like you said, I thought it was cool, but it's really a problem. Like I saw, I was overwhelmed with the amount of white mothers I saw like, cause they actually saw their, their, they saw their son's best friend in that. And their son too. Mm -hmm. And yep. when he yelled out for his mother, yep. Yep. he yelled out for his mother. 
I don't care what race you are. Mm-hmm. If you're a mother, if you have a heart, it's going to impact you. So yeah, absolutely. They, he looked like some of their kids' friends, but they also saw that could be my son if the, the tables were turned. Oh, absolutely. He's crying for his mother. My son, at some point, not 17 or 18, because you know how they like to be, but he'll cry for me. And there's nothing that I can do. You know, Stephen Jackson, Stephen Jackson's a basketball player and Matthew Barnes, and they have a podcast called All the Smoke. And they did an art. They did a podcast after George Floyd. And Stephen Jackson's actually related to George Floyd. Really powerful. I don't have I mean, we'll put it in the show notes. Right. And um, but that as <laughs> an inside joke, um, it's yeah, it's I mean, I mean, we don't want to go back in history, but I don't know how we got to this place, but it, it reminded me because that was one of the podcasts I listened to. And I was like, wow, like this because it was a personal connection for him on top of the fact that they're very intelligent in the way that they talk about, um, you know, you know, everything is just it was really, really, really good. So. And you know what? When you all were talking about or Karen was talking about George Floyd, like in my head, I could see a book and I can't think of the title right now, but the book about Martin Luther King when he was a little boy and the interactions that he had with his friends once the civil rights movement, no, excuse me, not so, oh, forgive me, <laughs> wrong time here, but what was going on with him as a boy, you know, with the race relations at that time, because I guess he had, um, he had white friends, right, playing baseball or whatever sport it was in the um, nearby playground, and I just remember from the book that there was this moment when the family, not the children, the children weren't you know, saying, oh, no, I can't be your friend anymore. It was the parents, you know, Malcolm, yeah, Martin Luther King was probably not even 10 years old. So, you know, he was young. But the bottom line is parents play a role, you know, sometimes it's in the negative and sometimes in the positive. But there's always this point, I guess, is what I'm saying in history that unfortunately keeps repeating itself. Like you're talking about George Floyd. You know, and I'm and I'm back in what, whenever he was, you know, ten, you know, in time. And so unfortunately I think that's a big piece. When will the cycle end, you know, for and what do we need to do about it in order for it to change? Like what Steven said earlier, you gotta disrupt it. Because I mean Emmett Till. Emmett Till is George Uh, Floyd. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean it's and before Emmett Till, I, I, there was somebody else. I mean, there had to have been somebody. I don't know who it is, but there was somebody else. And before that person, there was somebody else. I mean, and after, I mean, you just have to disrupt it. That's why I love the fact that we're connected here. Because like I said before the show, I mean, we're talking about 1,000, 2,000 kids that we have an impact over just out of these six people. And that's super powerful. Like, that is power. And if we don't take advantage of that power... Like, I don't want to go to my grave saying I didn't do anything. And I was thinking about it, and I was talking to my wife the other day. I'm at my half-life. I'm 42. I might live to 84, I hope. But um, I'm at my half-life. Like, I, I, what have I done so far? Like, I've done some things recently, but, like, I need to, like, step it up. Like, there really needs to be a lot more being done around here. Because if not, I don't want to be the Thomas Jefferson that says the next generation is going to fix this. Mm. Although I love, you know, he loved, I mean, he had a black wife with black kids. And he set him free at 21, like, which whatever, I mean, we can judge Tom Jefferson as long as you want. That's a whole other podcast. But he always thought the next generation would fix it. But I'm saying that's where I came from when I was growing up. I was like, you know what? These kids are growing up different. These kids are growing up different. These kids are going to fix it. I was that kid for a while. It didn't get fixed. It didn't get fixed because we're still here talking about it. So I need to be the disruptor in that. And that's, that is where you have to be in order to do this. I'm not saying you got to have that sort of passion, but you need to find someone who does and then jump on them and then go with it. Like you just got, I mean, it's no excuses at this point at all. It's just, all right, Dean and Gerard and Steve, and I got all fired up. I'm going to, I'm always assigned us to speak. I'm like, <laughs> Like Doug, I'm Doug is like so fired up and I love it. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there is also, and I don't know if it was Deanna who said it, someone said it earlier about like the way that we go about it. Um, and I like to say that I am gently pulling people into the obvious. Because to me, 
this makes sense. This is in my blood. This is in my DNA. This is, this is my culture. This is what I see, you know, and for some, it, it, it's not. So we have to gently bring them into the obvious so that they can see um, as well as they can um, so that we're not having, you know, this generation after generation, Emmett Till, George Floyd. Um, there, there's so many um, before. Too many, really, you know? too many. Yeah. And Doug, I think you brought up earlier with being an administrator, you know, and needing to be able to kind of lead that um, within your building. Um, you know, as teachers, you know, we, we need that as well because it, it's harder when you have to, you know, it's like when you know you're doing the right thing and you're not getting them back in of your administrative team or, you know, you're just level of administrative personnel. Um, and it's like, and I, like I, I've read, and we've all read these posts on social media, you know, there, there is um, a high school local to us who started a student group specifically around, you know, equity. And they're looking at that piece and that, you know, and the kids need that space to be able to be in a place where they feel comfortable, to be able to have those conversations and not feel ashamed to ask questions, you know, and I know that with all of us, I have a space to be able to ask those questions. And I, you know, and it's like, I've thrown questions at Gerard and said, you know, is this consistent with what you would see, you know, within the black community? Because obviously me not being black, I don't, I don't know. Um, and know that I'm not going to face those repercussions, but there are families, there are parents out there who are going, this is what's causing the divisiveness. You know, when the divisiveness comes from not having the conversation and not being willing to admit that you are not the expert in this world was built to make you better, but not everybody better. And so... We need that support and we need for people to be able to, um, you know, back us when we have those discussions and those conversations and not feel like there's going to be blowback because we're doing the right thing. Yeah. I remember the podcast when uh, I asked Gerard, I said, how do you, how do you represent? And he said, I'm a proud black man. And then we had a conversation about, you know, even being someone who, who, like I said, I, I played, I've told the story before outside real quick. When I was 16, I was in a black, locker room playing basketball. My first experience, I was the only white guy. Like that right there was like, okay, this is different than the soccer locker room, right? The soccer locker room was all white guys. They're like, okay, all right, this is different. All right, let's figure this out. So I figured it out. I mean, we, we got, it was awesome. It was the greatest thing ever. It changed me for life, right? But even that experience and then having black friends my entire life and all that, you know, like I got that one black friend. Like all of that going into, at this point, even like 10 years ago, I still struggled with, Black, African-American. In a sentence, I would say both, right? Because I was uncomfortable with which one is okay to say, which one should I say? And again, every single person of color can refer, can represent themselves or whatever, however they want, and I will use whatever you would like me to use. Gotcha. But you have to be able to have that conversation. And that is that next step to say, hey, Gerard, how do you want me to refer to you as Hey, Steven. Hey, Taryn. Hey, Ann. Hey, whoever. You know, what is appropriate for you? Right. But and people aren't okay to have. Off topic, yeah. I know. We've we gone all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but you have brought up something that I think is huge, and we must not leave this episode without talking about that. So you're from the perspective of, I want to respect how you want to be represented. And I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, even though there are one, two, three, four, right? People, um, don't, well, we can't say people that are black or African-American, however you choose to, to represent yourself, we all have differing opinions. We all have differing background. We have similarities as well, you know? And I think that oftentimes when, because I think I heard you say, you know, refer to somebody, people refer to, you know, what does the black community think? Well, you know, we can't speak for the entire black community. I mean, unfortunately, we can't. You know, we can read just as well as you. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just being realistic. Yeah. You know? We're the same, just like everybody else's culture that's represented, you know, on this on this call. We all think differently, and there are things that we think similarly about. And even, you know, we all have a passion, and we that's what's beautiful is all six of us feel the same way but what happened on Wednesday you know what I mean but we all came to that with different biases 
you know, we we all left with a different action plan, you know, and some of them we shared here. We, I loved how, I think it was uh, Doug was saying he was tweeting like crazy and retweeting like crazy. I did the opposite. I stayed off of Twitter. I mean, I was looking at them, but I didn't retweet because first of all, I felt uncomfortable. I was like, oh my gosh, not that I was worried about losing followers. I mean, that's, you know, that's not the issue. It was more so of I didn't want to get into confrontations with people that might have felt different, you know, a different opinion than myself, you know, related to that. So I think we all, I'm sorry, I went off, but, you know, I think the bottom line is we're all different. We're all, we all share similarities, um, you know, but I think the way that we address what's coming next, because we all should have an action plan, right? may be different and it, and it might have some th similar threads but we have to bring to the table what makes what's comfortable for us in the disruption yeah how about that we're all disruptors we're all gonna it's all gonna look different That's and, it. and to that point you and i actually went back on twitter back and forth a little bit about um who was the uh the oh, recent yeah. administrator yeah um, thomas from philadelphia no no who was the administrator that died that was um Oh, um, Clark. Right. Clark. Clark, but it was with Kareem Tom. Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't understand the nuance of what you were saying. Like, I had my turn. <laughs> I didn't understand the nuance of what you were saying, and, and I, you know, I disagreed with his. I and I stand by it still. I mean, I can still disagree with you, and it's going to be okay. I disagree with his philosophy, but you were like, "Well, you didn't understand." Blah 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 blah, and you kind oh. of schooled me on it. And I was like, "I didn't." Okay, I never thought about it that way. I mean, what you said to me made sense. Again, it was on Twitter, so I mean, it was just a quick conversation. But yeah, I mean, that's gonna happen. The great part was Doug. It wasn't even about a racial difference. Like it wasn't like because I was African American, right. felt like that, or were you know, like, like what well, I like to say, Caucasian. But anyway, you like to say white. Uh, you know, bottom line, it wasn't a racial issue. It was more of, like you said, what is this, his philosophy of discipline and, you know, and, and things of that nature. So I love it. Well, that concludes another episode of Coaching You Through All Things Education. As Confucius states, those people who develop the ability to continuously acquire new and better forms of knowledge that they can apply to their work and into their lives will be the movers and shakers in our society for the indefinite future. Again, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, or you can also find us on our Facebook page a and C Unlimited. As a reminder, for a free consultation in any area of education that you choose, for educators, administrators, or parents, please visit acunlimited.org. Until next time, stay stress-free and be well.